Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to share with you this evening um, three steps for handling life's Yorakwadan. Three steps for handling life's Yorakwadan. Let's turn to Acts 27, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 for the scripture. Acts 27, verses 13 and 14. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they have obtained a purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. A tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. The title of this sermon, and this is a repeat sermon, I've given this before. The title of the sermon is Three Steps for Handling Life's Eurocladon. Three Steps for Handling Life's Eurocladon. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us together. Lord, I ask that you will touch our minds and our hearts now. Be with us and guide us according to your word. Father, bless us and show us each moment the aspect of our lives that you will have us to surrender, that we may be completely committed and focused on you and our relationship with you. We thank you in the blessed name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's put this in context. Let's get a little context here because we're looking at Acts chapter 27. Let's go back to 26, 25 and 26, because this is where Paul has been taken prisoner. This is Luke writing now. We know Luke wrote the book of Acts, and this is Paul taken prisoner, and he's defending himself before King Agrippa. He goes to the defense, but he also preaches to King Agrippa. And if you remember hearing this statement that King Agrippa made, Paul, thou almost persuadest me to be Christian, thou almost persuadest me to be Christian, that's in chapter 26. And that's where we pick up in chapter 27 of Acts. Chapter 27 of Acts. And let's look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, by any means, they might attain to Finis, and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Now what is happening here 
is the prisoners are put on the ship and they're selling to Italy, to Rome. And here Paul is trying to convince them not to sail now. It's not a good time to sail. But the owner of the ship is listening to the captain instead of Paul. And they begin to sail. And we're going to find out what happens here. But this is where we are. Right? The little misunderstanding here about the Fair Havens. It stuck out with me. Because Fair Havens is just a very name. You're thinking it's going to be very peaceful. And that's the misunderstood part. That's the inaccurate part of this area because the position where they were it was a bay the position where they were made it vulnerable to the winter winds remember the winter season is coming up and for sailors this is a very trying season so the winter season is coming up and is very vulnerable to them in this bay where they are it's not ideal to wait there because the winter storms will be there and they're anchored there but then again, if they were to start sailing, they could be caught away from land in this storm. So it's not a good idea either, right? So they risk leaving and they risk staying. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes life is like that. There are no good choices. There is no good choice. Really, it's a decision between two bad choices that we have to make. Isn't that interesting? You know how when you're living life and something just happens and it takes the breath out of you and you're wondering what happened? The law calls, the, the world calls that Murphy's Law, doesn't it? The scripture has a different reference. Similar, but it's a different reference. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall rejoice also with exceeding joy. The world calls it Murphy's Law, but the scripture has an approach to that. The scripture has an approach to that. Now let's pick back up because we've read this, but let's look at it again because we're going back to verse 14. And remember, keep your finger here in chapter 27 because we're going to be coming back to it quite a bit, okay, for the complete story. Verse 14, chapter 27, verse 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocleda. Called Eurocleda. Incredible. This storm. Let me ask you something. As you're living life, we have these things happen to us. And what we're going to do is equate, equate this Eurocleda, this storm in Acts 27, to trials in our life to situations that happen in our lives that catch us off guard, that come out of left field, things that we're not expecting. Sometimes these things approach us and we think we might be ready for a trial, but when it hits us, we're dumbfounded. We're not quite sure of what to do. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at your rock with Don. Let's make a comparison first. Let's go, let, let's go to Mark chapter 4. This is my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. And those are my pages turning. Mark 4, verse 35. Here we go. Verse 35. In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with them other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, that it was now full. 
and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? That even the winds and the seas obey him. Now I want you to keep this in mind, because here we're talking about this whirlwind, if you will. Now I love the power of words. And I look up at my concordance here, this Eurachlan on this great storm that happened in Acts 27, we have something similar in Mark chapter 4, but it is not an Eurachlodon. It is a lilap. Lilap is the phrase. And it means a whirlwind, a squall, a storm. And the way I tend to connect this is that the lilap is on a, a lake, a sea, that is surrounded by land somewhat. But a Eurachlodon occurs on the open water, in the ocean, a much drastic, you know, a larger storm, a more drastic storm. And so we have the Eurachlidon and we have the Lilaps for Mark chapter 4. Go back to Acts 27. We're still there. I hope you're still there. Mark 27. That's where we are. And we're going to look at verse 17. And when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, struck sail, and so were driven. Struck sail, and so were driven. Look at what's happening here. Okay? Look at what's happening here. These are sailors. The sailors live on the water. They're more comfortable on water than they're on land a lot of the times. But look at what's happening. Right? They're looking for helps. They're trying to, to fortify the ship. Fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands. They strike sail. Hmm? Isn't that interesting? You know, I tell my daughters, I have two daughters, and I tell them all of the time, and I want you to keep this in mind, is that you may not control the winds, but you can adjust your sails. Listen to that. We may not control the winds, but we can adjust our sails. So as Christians recognizing fully that these things are going to come upon us and unexpected in some cases and we don't control all of the things external from us but what we can do is adjust our sails and move accordingly move forward by faith accordingly we may not control the winds but we can adjust our sails but we keep trying we have to keep trying over and over again so let's look at verse 18 and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And we, remember this is Luke talking because he's on the ship also with Paul and the others. He's not a prisoner. He's a doctor. But he is on that ship. Okay? Losing ship. They're, they're, they're panicking. They're trying to get things situated. And they lighten the ship. Step one of the three steps. We're handling life's Heraclidon. Lighten your load. Lighten your load. Meaning, what is happening in your life that tends to get in the place of your relationship 
with your Lord and Savior. Whatever that thing or those things are, that's where you need to lighten your load. And only you know what those things or that thing is. So step one is lighten your load. But here's the interesting thing. Sometimes lightening your load means getting rid of people. You're not dismissing them permanently, you're getting rid of them permanently. But what you're having to do, what you need to do, is to clear the deck, if you will. Clear that whole path so that your talk with your Savior is intimate one-on-one. And that you're hearing Him and you're blocking out all of the noise of the things, the sounds, all of that television, radio, internet, whatever it is, and people, if it happens to be people. So step one, lighten your load. Lighten your load. Now look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Look at that. Remember again, we're talking about these sailors. These are the sailors that we're talking about. And so now, no stars, no sun, nothing. These sailors, remember, they navigated by the sun during the day and the stars and moon at night. But the storm was so overwhelming that it blocked their view during the day from the sun. And at night, no stars. They could not navigate. So in a sense, they were just stuck. As if in life, and you're going through life, and things happen, and you feel stuck. You can't turn right or left, or if you do, it seems like things get worse or nothing changes. That's the situation that they were in. Things were very dark. They were in despair. Have you heard the phrase that things get worse before it gets better? I've had members, I've had students, because I've been a youth director, and I've had members ask me, why doesn't God answer me? You know, he says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I've done all those things. I do them over and over and over. And it doesn't seem as if he answers me. It's like he's ignoring me or something. Is he there or isn't he? I mean, he told me to do these things. I'm doing what he says do. And I'm calling to him in prayer, prayer, prayer. And it does not seem like he's answering me. It does not seem like he cares. What is he doing? Why isn't he answering me? I think about it. And I have to answer. I, I am a teacher. I've been blessed to identify my spiritual gifts of teaching and evangelism. And when I'm teaching, especially at the college level, at the beginning of class, I, I have a syllabus prepared for the class. And on the syllabus, it outlines the entire class. It has my contact information. It has the textbook that's required. It has the calendar of things that we're going to be studying, the different topics we're going to be studying in the semester. It has everything listed, outlined by dates, everything. It has when tests and quizzes are going to be given, but it also has, in writing, that the instructor may give tests and quizzes just in a moment there, like a pop test or pop, pop quiz, in a moment. It's in writing. I'll do that. So we go over it, let the students know that, and class begins. We're doing everything that we do throughout class, just going to class. And one day, I tell them, okay, clear up your desk, it's time for a test. And invariably, I get the, the moan, like, what, what are you talking about? Test? What, what do you mean, test? I don't, what are you talking about, test? I say, do you not remember that we reviewed this in class? Have you not looked at your syllabus? Did I not give you the syllabus printed and 
email it to you? Did he not tell you that it was online? You can get it through Blackboard? Did I tell you all of that? Clear off your desk. It's time to take pop tests, pop quiz. And so they begin to take the tests. And I sit at my desk. I'm just kind of watching, kind of observing, you know? This is the answer to their question. You know, when students come to me asking me something during the test and I can't answer their question, I tell them, just go and take it as best as possible. I can't answer your questions. This is similar to what God is doing. Hmm? This is the thing you need to recognize. The teacher is always silent during the test. He cannot answer. He's there. He's there. But he cannot answer. Because if he answers me, then he has to answer you. And if he answers you, he has to answer her or him. He cannot. It's test-taking time. You see, God is sitting there. He's watching us. He's watching to see if we have been learning the material that he's been trying to teach us and preparing us to face the test or trial that is going to be coming. He's there. He hasn't left. He's sitting there observing and watching us to see, have they been diligent? Have they been studying? Have they been preparing for these trials that I told them that are going to come simply because they are my followers? Are they ready? Are they ready? He hasn't left. You know, I would share with my daughter, when I was growing up, and I born and reared in Memphis, Tennessee, and when we were very young, we would just absolutely destroy the language. I tell you, we would just destroy it. If we were talking and we wanted to emphasize something, for instance, that we were not going to do something, we would not simply say, I'm not going to do it. No. We would say, I ain't never not going to do that. We would stress it. I ain't never. Now, we know double negatives cancel, but not in this case. No. We were emphasizing, stressing the point that we were not going to do it. I ain't never not, never, 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 never not going to do that. No. I'm not doing that. Hmm. Speaking in double negatives. Did you know? Did you know that God speaks in double negatives? Now, this is a podcast, but I can imagine your faces right now. You're wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Okay, let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let's get there. Give you a moment to get there as well. And my page is turning, but I can only imagine your page is turning. I love to hear that. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now again, I told you I love the power of words. I love the power of words. And so I had to, I I was drawn to really look this up. And so I go to my concordance. And I look up the word never. The word never. The word never is ume. Ume. And it means... Never, certainly not, not at all, 
by no means, not, in no wise, no, never, no more at all. Okay. Then I went and I looked at the word nor, nor. And, and, and that word is uday. Uday. And it means, but not, neither, nor, not even, neither, nor, not, no not, not so much as, then not. So wait, wait, let's put this together. Because we've we got to get the big picture here, right? Got to get the full picture. Reading Hebrews 13.5. Right? For he hath said, I will never, certainly not, not at all, by no means, not in no wise, no, never, no more at all leave thee, nor, but not, neither, nor, not even, neither, nor, not, no, not, not so much as, then not forsake thee. So listen, God is saying, I ain't never not going to leave you. That's what he's saying. <laughs> he speaks in double negatives. I told you. I ain't never not going to leave you. He's always with you. Like in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was with them on the boat, on the little ship, right? He hasn't left them. He's always with them. So let me ask you this. If this is the case, and the scriptures have told us that this is the case, this being the case, that he has never left us and he's always with us, why do we still doubt? Why? Why do we still doubt? Think on that for a couple of seconds. And while you're doing that, turn to verse 29 now. We're going back to Acts. Remember I told you, keep your finger there. Because we're going back to Acts. We're looking at verse 29. Verse 29 says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. They cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Keep that in mind. Interesting. Casting for anchors. Trying to stabilize things. But things continue as they were. And we get more and more and more frustrated. Remember, the first step was to lighten our load. Let's look at the second step. Simply remember. Remember, as darkness and doubt surrounds us, as we try to stabilize things like they did with throwing the four anchors overboard, we get frustrated, we get overwhelmed, we start thinking about the past and the decisions that we made, the words that we've spoken, the acts that we've performed, and we wonder, oh, what have I done to get myself in this situation, and we get frustrated. So step two, remember. Remember, small word, big deed, big deed. I want you to turn to, to Psalm 77. Psalms 77. Psalm 77. What we're going to look at here is Asaph. Asaph was a Levite. David had also appointed him to the tabernacle choir. You know, the Old Testament tabernacle. He had appointed Asaph to the tabernacle choir. He was a man of music, man of poetry, of writing. This was Asaph. Asaph was going through a lot of things, a lot of trials. 
and trying to put things in perspective, he was getting so overwhelmed. Let's look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God. Remember, that's the word. Remembered. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest my eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. Verse 6, I call to remembrance. There we go again, remembrance. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Diligent search. Look at what he's doing. He's thinking back now. Then he says, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? He says, is his mercy clean, gone forever? Doth this promise fail forevermore? He said, has God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercy? He said, and I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember again the days or the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of all. Verse 12 he says, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doing. Verse 13 he says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Remember, keep this in mind. This is so very important as we think on these things and as we recognize that our Lord and Savior is in control, we have to remember the things that he has done for us in the past. And as we remember these things, we recognize and acknowledge that he is working right now. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't left us. He's always there. And we recognize this and know that he is working even if we don't visibly see it. We acknowledge it. So step one, lighten your load. Step two, remember. Step two, remember. Now, remember I asked you to keep your finger there in Mark chapter four, because it was something that I was gonna want you to remember. When Jesus said, peace be still, remember? He raised up his hands and he said, peace be still. And the winds and the rains ceased. Remember that? Okay. Well, now go to 77. And we're going to pick this up because I want you to see Psalm 77 and verse 14. We're going to look at verse 14. And we're going to look at verse 16. Verse 14 says, Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Verse 16. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. Look at that. The waters saw thee. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. 
and the depths also were troubled. Now listen to that for a moment. According to Mark 4, we saw what Jesus did, and the disciples said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Asaph, we find here, that he says that the waters were afraid, that depths trembled. Now, if inanimate objects, inanimate objects, are afraid of God and listen to his words, abide his commands, what do we have to worry about? Think about that for a moment. If the inanimate elements are afraid of our powerful God, why need we worry? Step one, lightening our load. Step two, remember what he has already done for us. Already done for us. All right, let's go back to our chapter, Acts 27. We're back in our chapter, Acts 27. Let's go back to it. Let's pick up where we left off. Get all of our information here. Acts 27, and we're going to look at verse 38. Acts 27, we're going to look at verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened, there we go again, lightened the ship, right? And cast out the wheat into the sea. This was very interesting to me. They were lightening the ship, but these sailors, sailors are very uh, uh, superstitious and so it appears, I'm studying this, but it appears that they were kind of making an offering, if you will, because <laughs> they're afraid, they're terrified. They're making an offering, if you will. Verse 39, and when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with it ashore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands, and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind. Remember, cannot control the wind, but you can adjust your sails, and made toward shore. Look at that. Step one, lightening your load. Step two, remember. And step three, let go and let God. Now, Seems simple. We have those key words that we use all the time. But I want you to think on this for a moment. I really, really want you to think on this for a moment. If you have a car, or if you're riding with your parents, or your relatives, or something like that, let me ask you a question. Who is driving your car? And I'm using this as an example of your Christian walk, of your spiritual walk. Who is in control of your life? Who is driving your car? Hmm? Think of this for a moment. In the United States, if, if you're in the U.S., I want you to go to your car. And I want you to get onto the driver's side. Get into the driver's door. I want you to sit in, buckle up, get everything situated, adjust your mirrors. Then I want you to look into your side view mirror and think about what's in your side view mirror. Answer? Nothing on the driver's side. Now. I want you to get out. I want you to go around to the passenger side front. Passenger. 
I want you to get into that door. Sit down, right? Seat bread on everything. And I want you to look into the side view mirror. What does it say? Side view mirror says objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. Objects in mirror may be closer and they appear and that's how life is with those things that come out of left field that take us by surprise in our blind spot that's that area but if Jesus is driving our car what need we worry about we don't have to worry about accidents we don't have to worry about uncomfortable situations we don't have to worry about anything like that because he is in control of our lives he is not us we have this sense that we have to control everything and when we're honest with ourselves and we step back and look at it, we don't control anything. We control very little. We find it the most difficult to control our very selves. So we don't control anything. So I ask the question again, who is driving your car? It's amazing to me and I think about this. So let me ask you this. Why do you think your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror. Why? Why is your windshield bigger than your rearview mirror? Because with God in control, the place that you're going is so much bigger than the place that you're leaving. Think about it. Your windshield is tons larger than that little rearview mirror because the place that God is taking you is so much bigger than the past that you're leaving behind. Don't let it weigh you down. This is our powerful God. So three steps for handling life's Eurachlodon. Lighten our load. Step two, remember. And step three, let go and let God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you once again for bringing us together. Thank you for your guidance, for your grace, for your understanding, and for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you will be with us now, comfort and keep us. Strengthen us in our faith, Lord. Strengthen us in our understanding of your word. Bless us to revisit your word again and again, to commit it to memory, commit it to our minds and our hearts, incorporating it into our very beings, Father. Bless us to continue to surrender to you. We thank you. In the blessed name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.